Welcome to In Case You Missed It, the podcast that discusses the myths and legends of the world that you probably didn't hear in school. I'm your host, Carl Gage, and this is Spooky Season. Each week in the month of October, this podcast will break down some of the more terrifying tales from mythology and folklore. This week, we are traveling to the Emerald Isle, Ireland, for two harrowing tales of vampires. So sit down in the safe light of the fire and drink a coffee or tea as I present to you the stories of Avartach and the Derg Du. The story of Avartach is by far the older of the two, coming from an unclear period in the past. The most common version of the story takes place before the arrival of Christianity to the island, when the Gallic tribes and clans were ruled over by local chieftains. The tale is centered on the village of Slataverti, about twenty miles east of the city of Derry, in the county of Derry, in what is now called Northern Ireland. In a farmer's field there stands a small mound of stone with a hawthorn tree growing atop it. This is the Slataverti Dolmen, referred to by locals as the Giant's Grave. Long ago, it is said, the area was ruled by a chieftain named Avartach. His name, according to one telling, means dwarf, and is a reference to his diminutive size. Avartach was said to have gained magical abilities through studying with a local druid, a priest of the old Celtic ways. One day, Avartach and the druid, along with all of the texts and items that the druid had owned, vanished. Years later, Avartach returned, taking mystic vengeance upon those who had made fun of how short he was. He became chief and ruled over his people with great cruelty. The people reached out to a hero to help them. In some versions, this is Finn McCool, one of Ireland's great mythological heroes. In other versions, it is a man by the name of Cahid. Whichever it was, the story follows the same path. Avartach is killed by the hero, and buried upright in an above-ground stone tomb, which was believed to prevent an evil man from rising again. But the people of Slataverdi were not so lucky, for the next night Avartach came out of his grave, and according to one version went back into the village, demanding a bowl of the people's blood to drink. When he was refused this macabre meal, he grew violent and began terrorizing the town once more, this time killing his former subjects and feasting upon their blood. The hero who had slain him was called back to do it again, and he succeeded once more. Once more, Avartach was buried upright, and, once again, he rose from the grave and attacked the town. The hero consulted with a local wise man, who was either a druid or a Christian saint, depending on the teller. The wise man told the hero that, in order for Avartach to stay dead, he would need to be killed with a sword made from yew wood, the yew being an important tree in Celtic lore, and he would need to be buried in a special way. The hero returned to Slataverti, and, when the vampiric former chieftain was on the rampage, killed him for a third time by impaling him with the yew sword. Then, following the advice of the wise man, Avartach was buried under a mound with his head facing downward, and a group of stones and a thorny tree was placed over him, all so that he would be unable to rise again. And indeed, he did not. The town was saved. But legend has it that, beneath the Slataverti Dolmen in County Derry, he still lies. Supposedly, an attempt was made in the late 1990s to remove the dolmen, as it sits right in the middle of a field used for farming. The attempt failed. With the stones being unmovable, the chainsaw breaking against the ancient hawthorn tree three times, and the chain that was being used to pull it down snapping, injuring one of the men doing the job. 
No further attempts at removal have been made, and the ancient tree still stands over the heavy stones amidst the renowned beauty of the Irish countryside. Before continuing to our second story, it's time for history. Vampires. The word conjures images of Gothic castles in Eastern Europe, where well-dressed men with widow's peaks and long incisors seduce their victims with charm and hypnosis, before feeding on their blood, then changing into a bat and flying off into the night. At least this is the version made famous by Irish-born author Bram Stoker, in his 1897 novel Dracula. But Stoker is not the first person to write about vampires. In fact, he's not even the first Irishman to write a gothic horror novel about them. While the word vampire comes from the Hungarian language, tales of blood-drinking undead appear in just about every human culture. As far back as Sumer, the first known civilization with writing, there were references to certain rites that needed to be performed before, during, or after burial, in order to keep the dead in their proper place and stop them from attacking the living. The ancient Greeks, ever the superstitious type, had no fewer than three different varieties of vampiric creatures, including the Lamia and Pusa, and a being which is today called the Vrikolakas. The Slavic peoples of Eastern Europe had, and still have, a great many vampire stories. It is the Slavic versions that became the basis for the modern interpretation due to the intense interest in the Eastern Europe in the West, after the Napoleonic Wars, helped along by the rise of Gothic literature in English, wherein beautiful women in old castles encounter supernatural terror and madness. An early example of the genre is Frankenstein, which was, curiously enough, born of the same friendly contest that created John Polidori's The Vampire, which would have an impact on future writers. One of the definitive writers of Gothic fiction and supernatural horror of the mid-19th century was Sheridan Le Fanu, a Dublin-born author who enjoyed using Irish folklore in his stories. His novel Carmilla, published in 1872, is regarded as the first modern vampire novel, and was likely a major inspiration for Stoker's Dracula, as early drafts of the latter show a lot of similarities with Carmilla. One of the major differences between Carmilla and later novels is Carmilla's focus on women. The vampire, the titular Carmilla, seduces the daughter of an English nobleman in Fanu's tale. While their relationship is not explicitly described, Carmilla is widely regarded as the first lesbian vampire story. Additionally, Le Fanu's vampire is defeated not as a result of strong, knowledgeable men protecting their women, as was seen proper in the Victorian period, but rather in spite of them. I won't spoil it, but I highly recommend it. Dracula has in fact, been described as a reaction to the somewhat feminist nature of Carmilla, as it contains several male heroes, all of whom act heroically, and includes a depiction of female vampires that are utterly subservient to Count Dracula. With all of this being said, the exact inspiration for Stoker and Le Fanu is unknown to this day. While the infamous Vlad the Impaler has been put forward as a possible inspiration for Dracula, there is no evidence that Stoker knew much about Vlad other than his name, Vlad Dracul. Some scholars suggest that Stoker's story took its inspiration from a combination of Slavic and Irish stories, most notably that of Avartach. Stoker himself said that the kernel of the idea came to him from a horrible nightmare, much like how Frankenstein had first come to Mary Shelley. But there is another notable vampire legend in Ireland, one that hews closer to the seductive feminine wiles of Carmilla 
than the violent tendencies of Dracula. Listen now to the story of the Derigdur. There are as many versions of this story as there are tellers. It is apparently rather well known along the south coast of Ireland. The version that I will tell is something of a combination of a few different ones I've heard. Long ago, in County Waterford, in the south of Ireland, in the city by the same name, there lived a low-level nobleman. This nobleman had a daughter who was renowned as the most beautiful girl in all of Ireland, with perfect white skin and long red hair. The girl, whose name is unknown, had fallen in love with a peasant farmer. They intended to marry, but her father had other plans. The father was a cruel man, looking to climb the ladder of aristocracy and wealth, and had very early decided that he would marry his daughter off in exchange for the most wealth he could get. It just so happened that there was a powerful lord with a reputation for cruelty, who was willing to pay for a truly vast sum for the girl. So her father, deaf to her pleas, agreed to the lord's deal. On their wedding day all were happy except two, the bride and her peasant lover. Her life became one of endless torment, and her new husband showed cruelty even greater than his reputation. Often she was locked in a room in his home, with the windows boarded up so that she could not escape. He rarely let her leave, and visited horrible abuses upon her. Her father, meanwhile, was content to sit and count his ill-gotten wealth. She held out hope, though, that one day her peasant lover would come and rescue her from the clutches of the evil lord. Then, in the version of the story that I know best, she happened to see the peasant passing by with his new wife. The girl fell into despair. Her father had sold her, her husband abused her, and her lover seemed to have forgotten her. She resolved then to take her own life, but her horrible husband had made it near impossible by removing all sharp objects and boarding up the window, so she began hiding the food that was sent to her room, starving herself. It took her a long time to die, we are told. Hunger is a slow, lingering death. When she finally did die, though, she was buried in a simple coffin, with a funeral far less than a woman of her stature would have deserved and the Lord had found a new wife by the time she was in the ground, whom he treated just as cruelly. Of all the people of the town, only one visited and paid proper respect at her grave, her former lover, the farmer, who had not forgotten her. But some things do not end with death. The girl's long starvation caused her hunger to remain, and with it a rage that transcended the grave. And so, a year later, some say on the night of Samhain, the night when the lands of the living and the dead are closest together, she returned, rising from her grave. She first went to the house of her father, calling out to him to be led inside. He opened the door, terrified to see his daughter revived, and surprised to see that she was more beautiful than ever. Her hair and lips were more red, her skin more white. She then kissed her father and sucked the life from him. Her next stop was to the home of her tormentor, the evil lord, where she found him in bed with two other women. The women ran in terror upon seeing her, but the lord was frozen with fear. She did not merely drain the life from him, but feasted upon his very blood, leaving him drained. 
Next, she either spared her former lover in the last act of love for him, or she drained him as well, for he had known of her suffering and not helped. Some stories say that she was reburied by the locals beneath a pile of stones, while far more stories say that she vanished into the night, and that she wanders the island to this day, luring young men to her with her looks and voice, before feasting upon them. She is the Derdu, the Red Hunger, and she is always ravenous with a hunger that can never be sated, and seething with a rage that will never end. So ends the tragic tale of the Derigdu. Some variations include a moral element to the story, saying that she specifically singles out those who commit injustice, those who profit from it, and those who look the other way and allow it instead of trying to stop it. These versions tend to end with a question for the listener. If you see her, are you truly safe? Is your conscience truly clear? Good questions to ask yourself, even if you are not faced with an undead vengeful spirit. Either way, be careful out there, listeners. I hope you have enjoyed this episode of In Case You Mythed It, and I hope you got a nice little chill from the stories told here. If you did, please consider leaving a like, subscribing, and or sharing this podcast on whatever platform you are listening on. Every single one is appreciated. If you wish to contribute to the growth of the show, consider becoming a patron. There is currently no minimum donation or tiers, but I will be adding tiers very soon, and all patron usernames will be read on air. Thank you for listening. <laughs>